Talk. I'm your host, Emily Osan, and I'm super excited to be here today. This is like my favorite question. I think I say that all the No, I don't say that all the time. I really don't. This is probably my favorite question. Um, but first, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm here with uh, two teachers of science, um, Monica Wall, who's also teaching geography, and Brett Fisher. And we are here today to talk about what role does imagination play in the production of knowledge about the world? Yes. Uh, <laughs> You're great. Can't wait, can't wait. So um, what was exciting to you guys about this? What, what did you like about this question? Uh, for me personally, I think that imagination is one of those words that um, I find difficult to kind of define or play around with. So I just wanted to explore something new for myself because I kind of, I, I always think in these very sort of categorized ways being a scientist. So mm. like I think very structured and I feel like imagination is one of those unstructured things. Oh. So I love this idea of, um, yeah, this topic. And I just, yeah, can't wait to kind of dig into it a bit more. Yeah, cool. Okay. How about you? Yeah, I love imagination. I think it's what sort of, as I grew up, is what I used to explore the world. And I think it sort of got me to where I am today, exploring in particular environmental science um, and how to understand the world greater and I just love imagining things and trying to come up with new ideas and brainstorm. Mm, yeah. There's something fun about the process yeah, of imagining. Yeah, it, it is so fun. All it's the ideas you can come up with. Arguably one of the coolest things about being a human, I think. Yeah. yeah. Like, this yeah. is power to... Like, it takes a lot, right? You have to be able to know kind of what there is already you have to have some kind of framework with, mm -hmm. within which to imagine. Mm -hmm. And some idea of the possibilities of what could be and is not already in order to imagine like something that's feasible or even, well, sometimes, you know, even, even interesting. Even unfeasible. Yeah. could be anything. Yeah. It right? could be completely never could exist. Yeah. But you're imagining it. Yeah. And it's, it, there, like I said, it's, there's some like innate pleasure in the process of imagining. I think yeah. that's, for me, the, that's one of the reasons I love this title so much is that um, to me that's like where the joy of learning and life comes from is not only imagination, but then like what happens from that? Like what do you do with that? It's such a powerful tool as, I think not just like an artist or as a teacher, um, but as just like a human. Yeah, I think imagination is sort of the starting point of curiosity to yeah. go in search of knowledge. Mm. And then from that is also that passion to retain mm. the knowledge. Um, because without passion, I think knowledge comes and goes out one ear and sort of, or in one ear and out the other. Mm. And like, you don't really hold on to it without mm. that curiosity. Yeah. Yeah, that pleasure of like finding out. Yeah. I think one of the things that makes it pleasurable as well is that it just seems so like it doesn't cost anything to do yeah. it. You yeah. know, it's not, it's effortless. Yeah. You don't have to physically exert yourself to do imagination. <laughs> you just kind of have to sit there and think and you can really play and playing is fun. Yeah. You know, so I, that's what, another reason why I really like it. Yeah. Yeah, because like when I read books, like I'm trying to imagine like what that world looks like and so it's sort of nice to, I'm sitting in one place this entire time but I've gone to so many other places in my mm. mind just based off like, how I interpret the words oh, yeah. on the page. It's Gosh, that's a really good example because literature, fiction or nonfiction, or even any kind of like art is one of the ways that I think that's one of the most powerful things about the arts is 
being able to imagine yourself or others in an unfamiliar or unachievable place. Like I've read books about going to Mars. I'll never go to Mars. Mm. Or I've read you know books about other cultures that I can never experience from the inside. But because I'm there with the character, I can. And I can empathize in that way that that ability to empathize mm-hmm. um, it's not always fun yeah but it is powerful and it certainly is one way that we produce knowledge personally about others and other things that are in the world yeah stepping into someone else's shoes yeah you know what i found really interesting thinking about like the way that each individual person can imagine something different like say for example we all read the same book but then we kind of actually imagine that world maybe slightly differently. Maybe oh, the characters yeah. are slightly different, but depending on the, the way that they've been um, described. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I found really interesting was when the Lord of the Rings movies came out oh. and there was that scene where Gandalf is standing on the bridge and he's trying to defend against this huge, I that can't beast. remember what it's called, Baranog or whatever What's it's called. called. I'm going to get them wrong and I'm, <laughs> people are going to you know, <laughs> tell me off for it. But anyway, Ugh. like there's that scene and everybody says, everyone that I talk to at least says, that's exactly how I imagined it oh. when I read it. Yeah. And it's like, wow. So there actually... There is something about it now that you mention it. Like, yeah. That, that inne- like depth, that pit that it is described yeah. in the book that just goes on. Yeah, like, exactly. Like there's a never ending right. pit. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this giant, horrible, like dragon-like yeah. monster and he just gets ripped down into that, isn't that? Yeah. Just like, you shall not pass, bro. Like, you that kind of thing. But just imagining pass. that. Everybody had that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and his voice in that, too, was 100%. Right. Like, it echoed. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, are, you, are you into Lord of the Rings? I'm, I just, I'm like looking it. at you like, just, um, I don't know if I'm that cut up. I've seen a few of them. But I think my, my, my point is that you can have like literature where people kind of like branch off in their imaginations, yeah. but then you can also have like certain really clear literature where everybody's actually pulled into the same imagination yeah. um, of that, whatever it might be, it's being described. So I kind of, yeah. I think that's really interesting that it has that power. So I like, we're right now talking about kind of two sides of, and it's kind of like knowledge is an exchange, right? It's not just like, oh, I have it in me and I just then have it in me. <laughs> Right. It's there's always an exchange, like a passing back and forth of like, okay, I was the someone was the the writer. They shared an idea, which is not really knowledge, but I was able to then read it and develop some kind of understanding about something that I was reading about, thereby creating some form of personal knowledge or Mm. knowledge about the world. So that's like on the recipient end. You've got this like kind of two phone line kind of thing. Somebody's calling, somebody's receiving that's the receiver. But then I think there's also, so we've been talking about imagination on the role of the receiver as like producing knowledge based off of what others have shared. But then there's also the side where I think it plays a big role in science, which is that role of the producer of knowledge. So the the creator or the discoverer or the like person that's asking the question. Um, Mm. And I think that's where I get really excited thinking about it because science tends to be like kind of especially on the, on the receiving end, kind of dry, you know, like they, they don't want to have that multiple interpretation approach. No. You want to have like, okay, yeah. this is the interpretation, ideally. Yeah. Like we all look at the facts. We all might be different. We might have different biases, but we're not coming to different conclusions about the same data. Yeah. We're coming to the same result because it's good science somehow. Yeah. Right. But on the other side, the imagination is so important. 
I feel like in science, especially with the scientific method, there's only certain places where imagination comes in. And one, I would say, is when we've got some facts, we're kind of playing around with some evidence or observations that we're looking at, and we're trying to figure it out. So we use our imagination to come up with some kind of a theory to explain stuff. The other side that I see, it's very like it's a more minor side, let's say, is that for each and every experiment that we do, we're trying to design the experiment to come up with the answer to the question that we're, we want. So we might have to be use our imagination or be inventive, creative yeah. to try and come up with an experimental design, especially around like what variables are going to have play or effect or what it might, whatever it might be. So using my imagination in that case, in that way, I yeah. feel like that's the place for it in science, theory development. But then the, the, the actual evidence of an experiment is what's going to validate the theory. That's not based on imagination at yeah. all. It's just the coming up with the theory first and maybe mm. the design of the experiment. But everything else, mm. we want it to be like not up to the individual's controlled. mind. Yeah, we want it to be controlled. Yeah. 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 By anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I, could, I guess now would be a good point to just pause for a moment and unpack the idea of like what is the... Because the question is, what role does imagination play in the production of knowledge about the world? So I think... Can I, can I just, like, first of all, ask the question of, like, where is imagination? Because yeah. I feel like it's only in our minds. That's what I was going to say. It's like, yeah. what do we mean right. by imagination? Right. Like, what is it? It's a, so I actually... I jumped automatically to it's fun and it's a process. And yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But let's, let's talk about that. As, a, as a, like a, like a mechanism. Yeah. I, I kind of wrote this down where I was thinking about, okay, in order to produce knowledge, what happens for us as we're babies and we're growing up and everything? As human beings, we're knowers. And what happens is, as far as I can tell, we've got five senses. All this stuff's coming into our minds through the five senses. And there's only one output or avenue out, and that's movement, which it sounds weird. But actually, if you think about it, it's like even to just talk and communicate that way. You're moving your mouth and your lips to shape the words. You're moving your diaphragm to get the air out yeah. and the vocal cords. It's all movement. Yeah. Or you move somewhere or you're communicating by like, like moving your body, whatever it might be. There's only one way out. Huh. And that's movement. Interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. Right. But then in the middle, from the input and the output, there's this zone, which is our, like, our minds. And maybe you want to think of the brain being activated. So there's like a biological component. Mm. But the mind itself, we still actually don't really have good way of defining it. Mm. And that's where imagination lives. Yeah. It's in there. It's in the mix. And it's able to like, take that input, break it down, build things together, mm. reshape things, stretch them, make them bigger, smaller, whatever it might be. And it's just this, this tool mm. to play around with whatever's come in. Mm. And piecing together things that like are coming from other people yeah and that's so for me it's like it's this thing that we can use in our minds to do stuff it's like the yeah. ultimate manipulator i think of yeah i love it i'm like wow that's a kind of a new f lens for me to think about i never thought of it in terms of like all that comes out is movement and even if just taking that a little farther like even the neurons and everything that's doing the imagining is also a form of movement too yeah this yeah yeah like this idea yeah but that but, but the reason why i thought of that was because in producing knowledge it has to come out of our minds yeah and so we've got to produce it somehow by communicating whatever it is that we've got in there yeah and that's the production value like that's or that's the act of producing new knowledge yes. right it has to be shared like you said before it right. has to communicate to somebody else so 
in the question it's asking about what role does imagination play well it's it's somehow in that middle ground before it gets communicated somewhere yeah, else yeah. so there's like place in between yeah where it's before it's in before it goes out yeah, yeah. i like to think of imagination as kind of like a it's not really like an app. <laughs> I think of it as a tool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking because you, whenever I imagine, I always want to close my eyes, you know, mm. because it blocks out everything. And then you've got this like blank black-ish canvas yeah, going ish. on behind <laughs> your eyes. Um, and it is like very visual. Like for some people, I think imagination might not be visual. I don't think that. Yeah, I don't my, think it's imagination looks the same. Yeah, I, I wonder, Do how do you imagine? Do you guys imagine in visual ways or? Mostly. Like, do you have like a word flow as you're thinking? I noticed that I definitely, I mean, visual, visualizing things is, is feels easy. Mm. And it's like dreaming as well mm. as just imagining things that yeah. um, when people describe them. But also whenever I think of auditory stuff, mm-hmm. like if I read a letter by someone, I think of their voice. Like I try to, I, yeah. I imagine yes. their voice reading oh, it. Oh, absolutely. And you know people well enough to where right. you can actually like... Yeah. Regurgitate it, that yeah. voice in your head yeah. as you heard what they're saying. You're like, ah, oh, this sounds like yes. this person. Oh yeah. my god! Exactly. And sometimes that's really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so true. So it's multi. It's like recreating the senses. It's sen- yeah, 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 in, yeah. in that black space in your yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think we use it in different ways depending on like where we are in like growing up in a say like Mm. I would say like I used imagination when I was younger to like take the base information I had and come up with like the why for things yeah why does this happen why does that happen um because like at that time it's like I didn't maybe know how to read I probably didn't know how to use a computer or those weren't around so using my imagination to come up with the answers that weren't readily available with the resources that I had but now like probably as I've gotten older, like I use my imagination to create scenarios so that like when I'm in new situations, I am prepared for anything that could happen. Mm. So like I take maybe the little information I know about going into this new place or like moving to Hong Kong per se, Mm -hmm. and I can imagine all the different things that could possibly happen so that like I am the most prepared Mm. for any scenario. Yeah, it does have like a survival purpose, I suppose. Yeah, a little bit. In that way. Um, But I think it's, it's such a powerful thing. Like it, you have all these associations that you're really not in control of. Yeah. Um, Haruki Murakami is a, like this Japanese author. Yeah. Have you read any of his work? No, but I've heard it's of him. so bizarre. I love his work. Like, I'm actually, um, I just was reading one. Uh, he, he writes like short stories. He's originally, without going into too much detail about him, it's, he's, his writing is originally in, in Japanese. It's translated into English and like lots of other languages. Mm. But he's, um, he writes kind of in like a, a way that it is so based on imagination. And there's such, there's like the, the things that happen in the story are not always logical. Yeah. And it requires like a, you to sort of get out of your regular way of thinking because the connections that he makes are not normal things that would happen like for example one one story there's just some fish raining from the sky like (laughs) it makes sense in the story context but in like the real world it makes no sense Mm. um but i guess where was it going with that i don't know not sure well well there was one story i read of his recently where he's one of the characters is um he's like i'm writing you this letter i was at the zoo and i saw some kangaroos 
and it made me think I should write a letter to you. Oh, that association. Yeah, and it was like, okay, so the the story goes on and on. Yeah. But there's a later part. He's like, there were like 36 steps that got me from the kangaroo to you. Don't ask me to explain them because I can't. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But there were 36 or 38 of them, something like this. Right, right, right. And it's like, he says it so surely, like you can know how many steps actually it took (laughs) to get from the kangaroo to the thing. And that, I think, is that imagination? Is that like, or is that just some weird thing? But I think that is part of what fuels imagination is our ability to make these connections. Seemingly like a kangaroo to writing a letter, no connection, obvious connection. Mm. And yet the brain has this like power to associate without us being aware of it. Mm. I think that's where imagination is. Something about, I think that's part of the engine of imagination. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I definitely have different associations. Like, oh, I think of this person when I maybe smell this perfume or think of mm-hmm. um, maybe this scenario and then it goes down the rabbit hole of, oh, now why am I thinking of my aunt now? Like, things yeah. like that. I mean, and some of that's got to be connected to memory. Yeah. Like, especially like the olfactory sense that is the mm-hmm. sense of smell that is so powerful yeah. to connect you to places and things that you have experienced already or... Um, and and. So do you, would you say that, say for example, you get a strong smell that you've got an associate, oh. associate memory for, uh-huh. that that smell, when you smell it, it triggers imagination or is it triggers memory? Because like, is there, much of, is there much of a difference there? I don't know. Because you, you have to imagine, them, you imagine the memory again. Like you, you imagine the sights and the sounds based off of the smell yeah. prompt. So is that imagination? It could depend on how old they are. Because sometimes you start forgetting things and you make up things and memories that might not actually happen. I I think, though, I think if we get too caught up on the semantics, I think we miss the beauty of the machine. Like, there's, I guess the machine is the unhuman way of saying this powerful supercomputer that we have in our heads that does all these things. And we're just pinpointing, oh, that's imagination and this is memory. But they're so interconnected. Mm. Like, I think you have to have... I feel like it would be very difficult to imagine if you had no memory. Well, this is a question that I have actually for the group. Okay. So I was thinking about people who have some inspiration that comes to them. Mm. Right? Is that based off of something that they've kind of experienced but it was under the radar for a while and they're just kind of like sitting there in their subconscious? Or is actually there a distinction between active imagination where it's like there's an intention behind the knower using their imagination to achieve some end or do whatever they're doing, be creative in some way versus I'm just going to let my imagination open up and say that I'm just going to create a space for my imagination to Mm -hmm. do something like to be, to get like, I I got a vision, you know, Mm. it's like, it doesn't, it sounds different to say, I received a vision. I got a vision versus I used my imagination and created a vision. Yeah. Is is a different type of thing. Yeah. And yeah. I, and sometimes I feel like I've heard of people say that they've been inspired that way, where something just came to comes them. to you like yeah. an epiphany. Of yeah. Sorts. And yeah. like so, have you also ever heard the that there's just there's nothing new in this world, nothing I've, new I've under heard, the sun? Yeah. I, I remember like when I was in art school like this sort of existential crisis that I reached when I, I heard and realized that for myself, that I was never going to have an original idea. Yeah. Like, because everything was coming from my experience or others' experience or things that had been fed into me and that free association that happens 
So I truly cannot say I'm the creator of something. But I think, and this is where I've, I've, I've come to grips with that existential <laughs> crisis, is that just because there's nothing new under the sun, um, and just because I get a new idea, other people are also getting those new ideas. The difference is if they act on it versus they don't do anything with it. It's a difference in what you do with that idea okay. to produce something. Right, right, right. So it goes back to what you were saying earlier about at, or to produce movement. knowledge. You got to yeah. do something. You got to do something. Yeah. You got to do something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we all have really cool ideas. It's just like, okay, cool idea. Yeah. Did you do anything with yeah, it? Or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. True. And that I think that gives you like hope as at least as a as a creative person that you know, okay, I'm okay with that. I'm not original. That's all right, <laughs> but I'm going to make action. And so th in, through that action, I do end up creating new things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because just because other people have thought of it doesn't mean it actually exists. But, oh man, I was also just thinking that there's so many parallels with this new conundrum of AI. Mm. Like, we're all about this like chat GPT thing, mm. right? And yeah. all these different AI. Um, so essentially, the way I understand that AI can take everything existing and create new things. So essentially it's an imagination engine. Mm. Yeah. It's super, super bizarre. I have a student in my grade 11 class <clears throat> who I'm really excited. He's taken um, photos of existing artworks, put them into AI, and mm. then added some other words to it and asked it to send a new artwork back. So he's taken things like the screen mm. and like added other words in and then gotten these artworks back that are totally new, yeah. original artworks, but we don't know who made it. It's kind of irrelevant. Well, for this podcast, yeah. that's like his whole question is like, who's the creator? Is it, is it me or is the AI? Like, yeah, did yeah. I actually make this? Yeah, um, right. And it, it is. It is essentially like, it's so bizarre. The things that come back, though, I will say, there's something wrong with them. <laughs> Like when you look at them, yeah. it's it's un, it's that uncanny valley. Like there's something not right, even about this art. I'll show you guys it later. Yeah. I have them printed out over there on the shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, there's something that it's just like you know that's just not. not I want to say it's not human. Right. Yeah, but it's like yeah, a human just wouldn't make it yeah. somehow, and you, it's really hard to put your finger on it. And I'm sure that's going to like get better and better. Um, but is that imagination? Like, I don't know. I mean, it's almost like someone saying, like, hey, this is an idea, and then the other person decided to act on it. Yeah. So, like, it depends. They both... But it does feel like we're almost creating an imagination machine outside of human bodies. Yeah, which is super cool. Yeah. But also terrifying. But I guess one good thing about it is that the AI at the moment is that, like, imagination machine that we have in our head, mm. just more extensive... And the difference, too, is who acts on it, that movement that it happens. It acts on it immediately. But it, <laughs> but it doesn't do anything with it unless you make it, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I suppose you could probably write an algorithm to just say, okay, AI, start making stuff. And then it would start making stuff. And But you still had to But somebody still had to start to, making it. Yeah. So it is... I, it's, I don't know. It's one of those scary topics that can kind of go on forever because, you know, you're like what happens when you become self-aware or something? You, you, the prompt you put into it is self-awareness. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then is no. it going to have its own imagination? I know, and, and then we have to start like, looking at yeah, like the, the nature of being <laughs> yeah, human and yeah, yeah, yeah. 
are only carbon-based things, human, but, but or, uh, like alive or talking yeah. about like how how humans use imagination. Mm. If we think about from TOK's perspective, we've got the different AOKs and like let's say a, a historian, how would they use imagination? Yes. Like does is it just like, oh, I feel like is that's it piecing the job the, of a historian? Right. It? Well, to put themselves in the shoes they of people. That's their sole. Yeah. That's their number one to tool. To ask questions. To ask questions. To to connect evidence dots that there was just like yeah. there's no other way because there's no other evidence. That just that that historical imagination, being yeah. able to think yourself back. Yeah. And imagine like the scenarios with it in as much detail as possible. Mm. But in, in some ways, I feel like it, this this tool is probably within science as well. Yeah. One of the most like catalytic uh, tools, it, it, and also not only it's not only just a catalyst for like coming up with new ideas and new theories and putting together. You mentioned those two, like the design of the experiment and the, yeah. the evidence, but also just even to know what kinds of questions ask. Mm. Like what what do I want to know? And what, why? That question going back to childhood, like, that prompted us all. Like, that one that our parents were like, enough already. I <laughs> don't know. Go why? look it up. Why? <laughs> go ask your teacher. Yeah. And now just go Google it. <laughs> yeah. But that, that question why comes from imagination to begin with. Like, even just... I agree. Yeah. I don't know why. For myself, I, I feel like there's... When I when I explore questions, I don't feel like I'm imagining mm. as much. It feels like a different thing. It mm. feels like I'm doing a different activity, a different skill maybe that I'm using. Mm. I just like when I'm asking questions. Well, but it's maybe not asking, but answering, beginning to put the pieces together. It's maybe. like, I wonder why. Okay, I'm not super. Well, why, why does... Um, you know, why does the table stick together and not fall apart like uh, water? Uh, and then I have to think, well, maybe it's made out of something that's different than water. And then I, like, obviously I'm... It's almost, so are you saying, like, is brainstorming, I guess, the same thing as yeah. imagination? imagination? I think so. I think it's part I think, of it. I think, yeah. What it's do we call like brainstorming? <laughs> why, why do we call it brain? It's like, it's things all flying around like crazy, like a, like a storm in your head. That's got to be imagination. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, it is to me. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But you know what else? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this actually just like the whole idea of the question being, what role does it play in producing knowledge? I think there are a lot of circumstances where there is actually no role or it has a role in not producing knowledge. It's just pure entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like True. kids just playing. Like there's no, there's no oh, but production it, of knowledge there. It's like yeah. they're just making when stuff up. We all studied like childhood psychology, uh, uh, becoming teachers or like mm. at least mm. maybe you read some. Yeah. Um, and then certainly as you, as you have children, you want to know what's going on. But one of the roles of play is, is, it's not just like for fun. Yeah, it's I've, so I've fundamental play as part of like learning and, and, and interacting with the world. Mm. Um, at least in like good, you know, good teaching too. There should be an element of play, and that I yeah. think has to do with that connection. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that was that was it my, for my point. <laughs> it, was, it can just be entertainment. I yeah. think it is, yeah. well, but and, uh, entertainment. I think entertainment is often like I don't know is it is it not a form of sharing knowledge as well 
I mean, I watched, what is it, that 90s show? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've seen a few episodes of that. Because I loved that 70s show. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, the 90s, Nirvana. Yeah, Their, yeah, their yeah. Like, theme song is like a riff off of like a Nirvana song. I'm like, oh, my God, this is like my childhood already. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyways, um, it has purely, it's not smart. I Actually, it's quite a smart show, but... Like, it doesn't have any educational, quote-unquote, purpose. It's, I'm taking it purely as entertainment. Mm-hmm. But surely, there's some knowledge being shared, even through entertainment. I mean, in a way, you could see it as other people that did not experience that generation able to step into the shoes, or at least start to wonder, mm-hmm. like, okay, based off of maybe the little things that they're getting from that show, mm-hmm. can think of how it was back then. But going back to your point, actually analyzing my really destroy it yeah. <laughs> they would not I don't want to analyze and I don't know <laughs> is, is producing knowledge the same as reproducing knowledge because like, mm. you're kind of like reproducing something mm. that existed a little bit mm. if it and this is unless it's something new is it just reproducing no I don't know I, think I don't know either some reproduction is also like in that person's perspective so it comes out a little different every time mm. oh true how that person interpreted that thing and then they produced a similar but not exactly the same product. Well, you guys, suddenly, when you said product, I started thinking about my chicken in the fridge, <laughs> which is not related at all, but my mind made that leap for me. Yeah. And I think this is a good place to stop because yeah. we're coming on lunchtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my stomach plays a role in my imagination. Yeah, Do not realize it's a full yeah. body experience. Fundamentally. Truly. <laughs> Humans are complicated machines. Yeah. We have multi-parts. That yeah. might be our one advantage to AI is that we actually have more senses. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, thank you guys for meeting. Nah, pleasure. Really enjoyed the conversation. Good fun.